Bill McLeod said last week that Greg would be back, but surprise and sorry if you're disappointed. <laughs> My name is Seth. If you don't know me, I am the pastor of worship ministries here, and I have the pleasure of getting into the Word with you this morning. A famous author once wrote, The Path of Least Resistance leads to crooked rivers and crooked men. Generally speaking, a 30-year-old man doesn't end up in his parents' basement covered in Cheetos dust playing video games all day because he was ambitious and challenged himself. But it is more than that. Life is exhausting. It truly is. It's hard. Every month the bills are due, whether or not your bank account has money in it. Monday morning arrives, whether or not your weekend was restful or not. Babies don't sleep through the night, companies downsize and you lose your job, loved ones pass away. All the while, every billboard, every TV commercial, every ad is screaming at you that the easy life is just one purchase away, and that that's what you should be striving for, spending your hard-earned money on, putting your time towards, because you deserve it. You have earned it. You owe it to yourself. That's why you exist on this earth, is for your self. Jesus has a few things to say about taking the easy road, the path of least resistance. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus teaches his followers the eternal consequences of the easy road. He says in verse 13, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. In the passage of scripture we're going to be in this morning, we're going to look at a man who in Paul's eyes was one of these few who will enter by the narrow gate. In the last five verses of Philippians chapter 2, which Pat read for us. Just to give you an outline of chapter 2 for context, the first 18 verses are all about Paul giving us the mind of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ, and what he has done for us. And then the last 10 or so verses are two examples of men that he believes are worthy of displaying that and have in their lives. The first one was Timothy, which Bill covered last week. The second one here is Epaphroditus. Now, we don't know much about Epaphroditus. He's only mentioned in this passage and then one verse in chapter 4, and then maybe alluded to in First or Second Timothy. Um, but it's likely he was an elder of the Philippian church and probably worked with Paul early on in his mission uh, to Philippi. And this passage suggests that he was highly esteemed by all in Philippi, well-loved by all of the churches there. 
So how does Epaphroditus, this guy we get just a tiny glimpse of in all of Scripture, show us how to live a Christ-like, sacrificial life of service that avoids the path of least resistance? Well, Paul refers to Epaphroditus by three specific and important titles that we're going to look at this morning. He calls him a fellow worker, a brother, and a fellow soldier. We're going to see why all three of those are really important. First thing we're going to look at today is the fellow worker. A Christ-like worker goes above and beyond. A Christ-like worker goes above and beyond. Now, I'm emphasizing goes on purpose because we use that phrase all the time, and going above and beyond, and it can mean a lot of different things, but I want to emphasize that going is an action. It's something that you do. It's something that you get up out of your chair, and you walk, and you do. If you've been on social media for any length of time, Facebook, Twitter, whatever, I'm sure you've seen these waves of, of social media activism. Add a country's flag to the back of your profile picture to show solidarity for whatever you know, they're going through. Uh, you can, you've seen those pictures where there's like a picture of a really, really corny white Jesus and like this post if you believe the gospel, scroll past if you don't believe the gospel and you're a heathen and you're gonna go to hell and I scroll past, I don't know what that means, but <laughs> one like equals one prayer, 10,000 likes to save this baby because apparently you can pay doctors and Facebook likes nowadays. So we change our profile picture, we type amen, we push the like button, and we lean back and feel like we've done a good thing, we've performed our Christian duty while never having gotten up from the comfort of our own couch. And we get lulled into this complacency that I've done my part when I've managed to not actually do anything. I've not actually given of myself except maybe a few taps with my thumb and a few scrolls. And this is what the world says, is this is activism. This is doing something. You're doing your part by showing your solidarity without actually having to do anything. When Jesus tells us that all who wish to be his disciples should deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow him. He means daily sacrificial giving of yourself in very real, tangible ways that you can feel and that sometimes hurt. The church in Philippi sent Epaphroditus over 800 miles, a pretty treacherous journey, three, four weeks at least, with gifts for Paul and to minister to his needs while he was in prison. And Epaphroditus went. They didn't just send thoughts and good vibes. Oh, I'll pray for you, Paul in between my Netflix shows. No, they sent a man who they loved, an elder of the church who was really influential and a good leader, and he said yes, and he went. Now, this situation Paul is in, it's not like the cushy little American prisons where you get three square meals a day and you have a nice bed and, you know, you got electricity and all of that. I mean, these are, people died in these prisons all the time. Food wasn't actually even a guarantee. You had to be given a food ration And the prison didn't provide that. You had to rely on friends, family, somebody else. There was no prison cook sliding metal trays of food under your door. And so the Philippian church sent Epaphroditus, among a few other people that were helping him, to bring Paul three meals a day and to run errands for him. He was basically an errand boy and a a cook. It's not exactly a glamorous, cutting-edge mission. He didn't stand at the Philippian church and give this amazing presentation with super cool graphics on slides, and I'm going to go save millions of people and earn all this money. He was literally going 
to prepare food for Paul and run errands for him. Jesus' mission didn't exactly look glamorous either. I mean, look where Jesus began. John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, Jesus, was in the beginning with God. And with this truth in the back of Paul's mind, he extorts the Philippian Christians back in, earlier in this chapter, verses 5 through 7, "...have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not e- count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men." If anybody has the right to be self-serving, it's Jesus. And yet the only one in the entire universe who can hold on to equality with God because he is God, voluntarily gives it up and humbles himself to, what, just a, a human king? So I'm not the king of the universe anymore, I'm just the most powerful man on earth. No, he humbles himself taking the form of a servant. I mean, that's the biggest drop you could possibly take from king of the universe to lowest of humanity. And Epaphroditus, in some ways, takes the same role. He's an elder in the church. He's a leader. He's prominent. And he goes all the way to Rome to prepare food, to run errands, to deliver notes, basically just keep Paul alive. If Jesus did that for you, from heaven all the way down to a servant, if Epaphroditus can do that from an elder serving Paul, keeping him alive in a dusty, dirty Roman prison. What can you do? What does going above and beyond being a fellow worker look like for you? What opportunity is the Lord placing before you to go, to act, your neighbor, your coworker, your kids? Now, don't get too lofty and paralyzed. I know I, I tend to do this and think, okay, well, if I have to go, then, then I better go to the end of the earth. Going above and beyond doesn't necessarily mean going to Africa, although it might. That's between you and the Lord. But think about today, 2019, Medford, Oregon. You leave this church afterwards. What comfort can you forego in order to serve? Are you willing to send, to give of who you love and what you have, and be sent? It's not easy. Going above and beyond requires something else. And that's the second thing that Paul calls Epaphroditus, a fellow brother. And to be a brother, you have to care. A Christ-like brother cares above and beyond. This is a bit of a silly example, but hopefully it'll work. (laughs) Have you ever heard of Kuvad syndrome? It's a fascinating phenomenon. It's also called sympathy pregnancy, where the husband will have the same symptoms as the wife, Morning sickness, nausea, mood swings, back pain, sometimes even uh, appetite cravings and like abdominal swelling in the first and third trimester of the woman. It's crazy to me. (laughs) He's not even pregnant. (laughs) But that marriage relationship is so deep and so connected and so meaningful. He loves her so much that even though obviously he's not pregnant, his body's not changing, he can actually experience some of the same symptoms that she is, whose body is actually going through the drastic change. And this is the level of concern and care in a way that we see all over this passage in Paul, in Epaphroditus, and in the Philippian church. We're going to look at a few examples here, starting in verse 26. 
Notice Paul says, For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. And remember, he was ill almost to the point of death. And yet, why is he distressed? Because the Philippian church heard that he was ill. He cared about them so much more than himself that his own sickness didn't even concern him. That's the mind of Christ Paul is talking about in the beginning of this chapter. In verse 27, Paul says, God had mercy on him, but not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Paul's in jail. There's no guarantee he's going to get food or water. There's no guarantee he's going to get out of jail alive. And his sorrow upon sorrow is not because of his circumstances. It's because of his love for Epaphroditus and the grief that he would have felt if he had died. And it's interesting because in chapter 1 of Philippians, he even says that it would be better to die and be with Christ. And yet for your sake, I will remain here. And I think he feels the same way with Epaphroditus. It's okay to grieve loss. We know that Christ has won. We know that death has been conquered. But it's okay to still grieve that loss, and to be grateful when the Lord is merciful and preserves and sustains a life. In verse 28, Paul says, I am more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. Paul is more willing to send Epaphroditus back to the Philippian church so that their anxiety and their worry would be um, Taken off. I can't think of the word right now. <laughs> Removed. And Paul still has needs. It's not like he got out of prison and, okay, Epaphroditus, I don't need you anymore. You can go back. Paul still needs meals. He still needs errands run. He still needs to be sustained in prison. But his anxiety for the Philippian church in their worry is such that he would rather send Epaphroditus back to them than keep him for himself to serve his own needs, which are very real, very present every single day. That's a lot of caring. That's a lot of selflessness. And it's not written expressly in the text, but it's implied that Epaphroditus' service to Paul caused him almost to die, like, directly. It wasn't just he randomly got sick on the way. He was serving himself to death because of all that Paul needed to be sustained in prison. And this is just conjecture, but my guess is looking at his character— it probably started as a cough, and he just ignored it, and he kept serving. He didn't go to Paul and say, hey, man, I've got a scratchy throat. I need to take a couple days off, kick back to some Netflix, you know, so good luck finding some food. I mean, I, you know, wish you the best of luck. I'll be back in a few days, tops. No, he cares beyond his own health, beyond his own needs. He keeps serving. Jesus gives us a fantastic example of this in Mark chapter 6. I'm going to turn there. Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 30. This is the account right before Jesus feeds the 5,000. I'm start reading in verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. 
Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Imagine this. They get in the boat. They're sailing off, finally a little peace and quiet, and somebody goes, guys, it's the Jesus and the disciples. They're, they're making landfall over there. Let's go. And they just run. Get this gaggle of people running across the shore, chasing this boat down. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, verse 34, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. I have to confess, this passage stresses me out. I'm an introvert. I need my space. I need my time. I need to be all alone to recharge. This passage sends my introvert brain into a frenzy. Ah, I just got away from all these people. My work was done. I was ready to be alone. I was ready to eat some food, have a little me time. Not Jesus. But Jesus was filled with genuine love, compassion, care for others that he stepped out of the boat exhausted as he was, and he began to teach them because he saw their great need sheep without a shepherd, and he put their great need above his own need for rest, recovery, and even food. So you can go above and beyond, you can act, you can do all that you want for other people, but if your motivation isn't love for others, empowered by the love of Christ that he's already shown you, all of your service will either be ingenuine, or it will simply drain you to a useless empty. 1 Corinthians 13 has a whole lot to say about love. You guys know that passage pretty well. I'm going to read it, starting in verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge— and if I have faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. These are amazing things he's referencing here. These are works that can only be done by the Holy Spirit. Removing mountains, having all mysteries, all knowledge, all understanding— but if there is not love for the other, if there's not care above and beyond for the other, all of these works, all of this going is worthless. In our going, it's so important that we have genuine care, genuine love for those which we are serving. And that's so much easier said than done. We keep going on in 1 Corinthians 13. We learn that love is patient. Were you impatient this week? I was. I have an 11-month-old daughter who's getting into everything. And she doesn't understand no yet. In fact, when I say no, she smiles and goes, <laughs> Stop! Don't lick the light. Love does not envy. Does your neighbor have a shiny new truck? Or a meticulous lawn you don't have time to upkeep. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. 
does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, trusts, hopes, perseveres. I am getting exhausted just listing those things. And yet care above and beyond means that all of those things are things that should be seen in our service to others. Everything about love goes against our sin nature. Every one of those things is something that you naturally want to do apart from the work of Christ in your life. It's certainly not the path of least resistance. And it's hard because it's a decision that has to be made every single day, every single morning, multiple times a day. And that kind of dedication, that kind of commitment requires something else. And that is risk. The third thing that Paul calls Epaphroditus, a fellow worker, a brother, and a fellow soldier. A Christ-like soldier risks above and beyond. A couple weeks ago, I was able to go see that new movie, Midway, that World War II movie about the battle in the Pacific. And it really was the turning point um, of the battle in the Pacific theater. If America didn't win that battle, it's likely Japan would have conquered Hawaii and very possibly the western seaboard of the United States. It's an incredible story of courage in the face of danger, and the film does a really good job uh, depicting this in one of the scenes that was probably one of my favorite. After the dive bombing crew had just come back from a pretty successful run, they're all sitting in the briefing room, and they're exhausted, they're ragged, they've lost about half their people, and those who left are sitting there just reeling with what has just happened and what they've just lived through. And the XO comes back into the office after talking with the commander, and he says, I know we've just been through hell, but we've got to go back. There's one more carrier to sink. And the look on their faces, they do such a good job of just an amazing combination of dread and understanding the reality of what they have to go back out and do, but then determination that, no, this is something that I have to do. I don't have a choice. They just came back from a bombing run that cost them 50% of their men. They're the lucky survivors, and now they have to go back. They know the odds. Likely another 50% are not going to return. And yet they strap up, and they go. The same selfless risk is what we see in Epaphroditus in this passage as well. I'll get back to it here. <clears throat> in verse 27, he says, Indeed, he was ill, near to death. He kept working, he kept pushing himself, and he very, very likely could have died. Without people like Epaphroditus coming to Paul's aid in prison, though, it's very possible that Paul would have died. And this is before Paul wrote Romans, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, 2nd Corinthians, and a couple others. I mean, basically at least 30% of the New Testament as we know it had not been written at this point yet. Epaphroditus' obedience to the call of Christ almost cost him his life, but look what it did for us. Now, I don't think Epaphroditus knew this at the time, that Paul was yet to write this many letters that would end up in our scripture. But all he was doing was simply answering the call of Christ to follow his Savior's example. Jesus says in John 15, starting at verse 12, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And how has Jesus loved us? Paul says in verse 8 of Philippians 2, And being found in human form, he, Jesus, 
humbled himself by coming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul calls Epaphroditus a fellow soldier because he's willing to lay down his life to the point of death for Paul, just like Christ did. He chose to leave his home and his comfort. He chose to take the treacherous 800-mile journey. He chose to submit his own will to do what he wants for the day in order to provide Paul with three meals a day, run errands for him, make sure he stays alive, and in a very real sense, continue the gospel ministry of Paul that we are so incredibly grateful for today. Paul uses soldier language often, probably most well-known in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. He says this, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. The path of least resistance says to you, why risk it? Why put yourself out there? Save your own skin. Avoid pain. Run from the battle. It's all about you. You want to save your life. This is the only one you have, so preserve it. Hold on to it. Christ has something quite different to say about that. Matthew 16, starting in verse 25. For whoever saves his life will lose it. Whoever holds on to his life, trying to cling to it, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. One theologian wisely wrote, I love this quote, He is no fool who parts with that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who parts with that which he cannot keep. You can't hold on to your life. You can't save your life. Everybody has died. To gain that which you cannot lose, eternal life in Christ that he has promised. So how can you take a risk in your walk with Christ today. Risking above and beyond doesn't necessarily mean becoming the next missionary that gets killed by ISIS or by a cannibalistic, militant, unreached people group. Although, again, it might. That's between you and the Lord. But what if risk for you is risking the possible awkward conversation with your coworker, with your school friends, with your teacher, bringing up your faith in Christ and what he has done for you? Risking being made fun of, risking being marginalized? Or what if you gave of your finances to all who came and had need? To the point where you didn't know if you were going to pay your bills at the end of the month. That might sound irresponsible. Christ might call that sacrificial giving. But the question in that is, do you trust the Lord that much? Do you trust the Lord to be your encouragement, to be your strength, to be your friend when no one else will? Do you trust the Lord to provide your finances when the bills come knocking, the debtors come calling, and you don't have what it takes? I want to wrap it up by asking you this. Are you willing to risk above and beyond by caring above and beyond in order to go above and beyond? Or are you going to take the path of least resistance 
Look out for number one, save your own skin, and avoid all that pain and risk. Are you willing to risk your pride, your preferences, your life, by caring above and beyond for those around you, relational vulnerability, personal sacrifice, in order to go above and beyond in the work of Christ, no matter what he asks you to do. Jesus gives us an important warning at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, saying, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. No one is going to wander aimlessly into the gates of heaven. No one is going to show up when Christ returns and go, Well, what do you know? Heaven! Sweet! Not by church attendance, not by the occasional random good deed when it's convenient, and certainly not by taking the easy road, the path of least resistance, living for yourself. So I ask, are you on the path of least resistance? Why do you wake up in the morning? Is it for you? Is it for others? What do you invest your time in? Yourself or someone else? What do your finances display? Sure, you may throw 20 bucks in the offering plate here and there or give to the guy that's on the side of the road, but if you did a budget and calculated out how much percentage-wise goes to various things, what would that reveal about your values? Are you living for you or are you living for others? I plead with you, I ask you to surrender your will to the Lord this morning. That is a dangerous thing, Christ says in Matthew 7, 21. Only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter the kingdom of heaven. Surrender your will to the Lord this morning and every morning. Believe in the hope of the gospel that Christ already gave you everything, humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross for you. And let that joy that that has been true for you, that that has been given freely to you, overflow to those around you in sacrificial service. If you're here today and you don't know that joy, I invite you to invite Christ to be Lord of your life right now. Begin to experience the freedom and joy that is found only in laying your life down as Christ has done for you.